0: To see us this morning. Uh, it's wonderful to worship together. Uh, I, I, Jason, I'll just come, come back and um, whenever I'm finished, to we'll close us out again. Uh, it's a funny feeling. I feel like there's was, was just a bit of unfinished business. It's a weird feeling now to stand and try and preach and you think there was something unfinished. Uh, but we will. We'll finish it. There's a few things that he maybe wants to do among us this morning. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna keep going with, with the book of Judges. Wonderful to, to be able to to read this together, to study this together, to be engaging with this this book together. Uh, our desire, our prayer has been as we've done, as we are going through this series, and as we. Uh, as we press in even even more in our midweeks, is that the word of God would just come alive, that it would come alive in each one of us, uh, all the time. But especially as we go through this series together, it's just been uh, been great to engage in some conversation on our Wednesday nights. I've just so valued uh, the input from those that have been part of uh, part of our home group, and I know the. Uh, David and Neville equally as encouraged and blessed by time uh, by time in their home groups as well so so thank you for engaging with us thank you for going on this journey together um let me pray really quickly Father uh, I just pray that we um, just continue to, to be so present among us. Let us continue to be aware of your presence. You be, continue to allow us to live in that awareness of you with us. And, uh, on Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would, that you would once again grab the attention of our minds and the affection of our hearts. And uh, I pray that you would help, help me, God. I, I need you completely inadequate without you. Acknowledge that, and pray that you would. Come and make yourself so present. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, so this is uh, this is into the fourth week, and uh, we will take the we we'll gonna end up taking the whole morning recapping all, we're, all where all we have with been so far at, in the first uh, three chapters of of Judges. But if I can just point out where we finished last week, just for the sake of a bit of continuity, uh, we were in Judges three last week. For those that don't know, we we looked at the first three judges, uh, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar, and uh, spent most of our time in looking at Ehud. Ehud was, I think, a lesson of uh, there was a lesson of surprise in the in the story of Ehud—an unexpected enemy, an unexpected uh, deliverer, uh, with an unexpected method—and. Uh, and as we, began to, as we began to wrap things up last Sunday morning, we, we suggested in much the same way as had, was an unexpected deliverer and an unexpected, with an unexpected method of deliverance, Jesus was the same. An unexpected, an unexpected deliverer. The one that would come as a suffering servant. An unexpected method. One that would die, that would give his life for his enemies. One that would give his life for us all seen something of uh, the person of Jesus as we looked at Ehud. We asked, we finished off last Sunday by asking a couple of questions. We asked what, because God just can use, he's bound to his promise. And that's, I think there was some of that that was stirring in me as we were worshiping. He is bound to his promise. The The what we see revealed right throughout scripture, that, that, That song that we finished off, he he turns it for our good, for those that that love him and are called according to purpose. We're so familiar with the what and often we don't see that we're not as familiar with the how. He's not bound to methods. He's not bound to our expectations. And we asked that question last, last Sunday. What kingdom advance are we missing out on because we are waiting for the right formula? what kingdom advance are we missing out on because we're waiting for it to be done the way that we think that it should be done and we pushed it a wee bit further and asked who who are we dismissing who are we ruling out who is the person that we're dismissing that it could actually come through this kingdom advance and and we were challenged by that and we continued to, to, to discuss that in our Wednesday Wednesday nights. Um, This morning, I'm going to we're going to read the first two chapters. We're going to read chapters four and five. I'm aware that that seems a lot, but we want to we want to follow through with this story. And in reality, it's it's uh, the first chapter four is uh, I suppose is the historical narrative of what took place. Chapter five is the is the poetic retelling of the event. And uh, and so chapter 4, I'm going to read the narrative, and somebody flamboyant and poetic is going to come and read chapter 5, Jenna. Um, So uh, let's go, if you've got your Bible, please, uh, let's go to it. Chapter 4, I'm going to read, and just as I finish, Jenna, if you could come on up and, uh, and follow on. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth, Hagoim, And because he had 900 chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Deborah, our fourth judge. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth that was leading Israel at that time, she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. And she sent for Barak son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great t- tree in Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abu had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him, from Harasheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor and followed by ten thousand men. At Barak's advance the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harashath Hagoim. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword, not a man was left. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jail, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Because there were friendly relations between Jabin king of Hazor and the clan of Heber the Kenite, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said, please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by, asks and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a Hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him.
1: Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother of Israel. When new gods were chosen, when war was in the gates, was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on the white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way. The sound of musicians at the watering watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abanam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir marched down the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who were the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar faithful to Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. "'Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. "'Why did you still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? "'Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. "'Gilead stayed, among, stayed beyond the Jordan. "'And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? "'Asher sat still at the coast of the seas, staying by his landings. "'Zebulun is a people who, reach, who risked their lives to the death. "'Naphtali too, on the heights of the field.' The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan. At Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver. From heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horses' hooves, with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly. Because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jail, the wife of Hebar the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent pig, and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the window she peered. The mothers of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is this his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answered herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck a spoil. So may all of your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might and the land had rest for forty years.
0: Thank you, Jenna. Thanks for following along too, um. If I'd have known this morning we're going to have a doctor of theology with us, I'd have done more work on my pronunciation. So, Ursh, if, if I made a hash of all of those pronunciations, forgive me. Uh, there's two or three things this morning that I want to just pull out of this story. As we've read through it, some of, those, some of what took place, there's maybe more, more questions you have than what I will even uh, begin to answer. But the first, thing I wanted to, the first thing I want to touch on before we even get to the person of Deborah is in these first two verses of chapter 4. The pattern is, the pattern is uh, we were introduced to the pattern of the, the cycle uh, that we see right throughout the book of Judges. That the people, the children of Israel, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were oppressed by the enemy. They cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord responded to their cry, sent a deliverer who saved them, and then they had peace for however many years. And we get the story of Deborah, and we are again introduced to this pattern once again the Israelites, the children of Israel, once again did evil, in the eyes of the Lord and they were introduced once again to the, to the enemy to those that were, that were cruelly oppressing the Israelites Jabin the king of Canaan and if we were to go back to where we started this, where we started was Judges chapter 1 and, and we spoke in, of verse 19 where it said the Lord was with the men of Judah as they stepped in to take on the, the Canaanites the Lord was with them but they were unable to drive out the. They were unable to drive out uh, the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. As we get to chapter four, I just found myself this week just, just realising that they hadn't fully trusted, they hadn't fully obeyed. What we said that first week was that they had uh, measured their own strength against the strength of their enemy children of israel god 's people had measured their own strength against the strength of the enemy, and so they were unable they felt that they were unable, even though the Lord was with them, they were unable to go and take to move out the people that the Lord had promised that He would be with them, that He would give them the land He would allow them to walk in inheritance He would allow them to live out destiny. He was calling them to take out take hold of the promise they had to drive out the one to enjoy the other but they measured their own strength against the strength of the enemy and so as we look through the story of of many of the stories that we read right throughout the old testament and the new so often we assume that it's our lack of strength but here it's not it's not their lack of strength it's their lack of faith in his strength and i don't know if you found yourself in that in that place you measure, you measure what you have, you measure what's in your hand, against what is in front of you, the circumstances that you face, the thing that you need to confront, and you measure, you measure your strength against the enemy's strength, and you begin to retreat, you begin to step back. Now, there's a pattern that we have, that we have seen, and and, and we continue to see even today. But it was never. It's not about your strength. It's. The it's question is about your faith, in His strength. Lord, I'm acknowledging that You're with me, and so I'm not stepping back. I'm not going to retreat any further. And so here we are. Uh, introduced to these people that if they if they had trusted God fully, if they had obeyed God fully right back and. Judges chapter one. Maybe we wouldn't even have been here. Maybe we wouldn't even have got to this place. We wouldn't have been facing this same enemy again. And it struck me. It struck me again this week, reading, uh, reading again through the story of, reading the story of Deborah and Barak. The Jabin, This name Jabin, the king of Canaan, sounded quite familiar. I've heard of this. I've heard of this king before. And uh, concordances and. Google are a wonderful thing, and so it brought me back to Joshua chapter 11, where again we see this this enemy has been fought before. We've come face to face with Jabin, the king of Hazor, before. And so I'm I'm not scholarly enough to know whether this was either, is this the same person years later? or Or is it a title that was given to the king of Canaan? So, for example, all the pharaohs—they were given the—they all had the same name. Is this the same thing? Either way, it's not. I don't think it's that significant. What is significant is that there is a renewed aggression by an old enemy. And and and, and I'm already aware that some of this, even reading through some of that story, it feels—it feels real heavy. It Feels quite dark. And uh, and even even as I'm sharing. These first, this first point in the word that this seems heavy. It doesn't seem very encouraging to, remind, to tell us that there is always going to be a jabbing. There will always be a jabbing. A renewed aggression of an old enemy. And so I want to ask you a question How often, how often do, we, do we fight? the same battle because we never fully trusted or obeyed the first time around. I don't know if that lands with anybody. But for me, I'm not going to go into any details this morning, but I found myself, because I never fully dealt with it, because there was a, a sense of compromise, there was a sense of it wasn't a big a deal, as I was willing to make out, we find, I found myself fighting the same battle because i wasn 't i wasn 't willing to trust fully the first time around i didn 't fully obey the first time around, and so I found myself fighting the same battle that 's so why I just think it's it's worth pointing out it 's worth pointing out for us that there is there is a call for us to stand firm there's a call for us to keep on hearing his voice to keep on responding to what he 's saying to keep on walking in in obedience yesterday's victory is not enough for for today and and I just would hate I hate it, I hate when I've got got friends I've got friends and uh, that get caught up in that cycle, they won't fully trust the first time around, they're confronted with an issue, they're confronted with an enemy, they're confronted with an idol They're confronted with something that's trying to steal their joy, to steal their inheritance, and find themselves unable or unwilling to fully trust, to fully obey, and to find themselves facing the same battle on down the line. And maybe we can, there's some things there we could maybe pray for at the end when Jason comes back up. But chapter 4, verse 4 brings us to to Deborah. Introduces us to this fourth judge. Deborah, we're told that she's a prophetess. And uh, she was leading, or she was judging Israel at this time. Here we are introduced to a prophetess. But unlike Othniel, a man of war, a warrior, a strong man, ready for battle. And I'm sure Shamgar, the little that we know of Shamgar, he was probably something similar. Anybody that can take out 600 Philistines with an ox goad must be a bit of a strong man. And, and, uh, and so I know with Eod, um, also ready for battle, willing for battle, it, it was unorthodox, but he was still one that was that was willing to go and confront the enemy. And, and Deborah's slightly different. Deborah is... A prophetess, she was one that led from character. She was one that led from wisdom. And she would had held court around around the palm of Deborah in the hill country of Ephraim. Here we introduced a prophetess. We introduced a one who led and judged from character and from wisdom. It wasn't from the, the strength and the muscles and the might. here we see she's the authority for judging Israel. As a prophetess, the authority for judging Israel. She knows the mind of God. She knows God's heart. She knows God's mind. As a prophetess, she's the authority for judging Israel. And, I, and I've sort of battled with this, battled with this all week. I've battled, I've actually, one of the things that I've battled with is I, as I knew that we were going to speak on, on the judge's the twelve judges for me. Every time I think about it, one sticks out, Deborah, because she's a woman, and uh, and so even this morning still still wrestling. Do we do we do we are we going to go there? And we are for a moment. And I'm uh, and, and so pleased. And my intention is not. This is not to upset those that disagree with me. And uh, and i and I'm sure they are. Uh, there is those that will probably could disagree with where we stand, and I'm more than happy with that. I think it's really healthy that in, within a family of people that can just sharpen one another, just help each other wrestle through the things of the word, the things of God. And at the same token, I'm not, this is not to patronize women. I don't want to mention this as some token gesture. I don't want to address Something around women, just as a as a as a token gesture or to patronise, and so so understand my heart. I don't know if you know of the website Got Questions. So uh, it's a website where you you can ask, you pretty much ask anything. It's a Christian website. Uh, If if you've got a question, genius title, uh, you type it in to Got Questions, and it'll bring up any number of things. Anything around history of the church. Anything around. Any form of doctrine, any form of theology, uh, any any one of the tribes of Israel, anything you want to know, you're likely going to find it in in the book of in the website. got questions. It was interesting to me because I, as I was uh, I went on to it earlier earlier this week because down at the bottom of it is the top ten most asked, the top ten most asked questions, and I was genuinely surprised to see number one. The number one most asked questions uh, on God questions was what? Women. really surprised, women. Things around sexuality were actually third and fourth, but number one was, was women. So women right across the world wide, way abuser causing more controversy than anything else <laughs> in the world. Um, what I want to say is that we're never going to as the, as the church speaking as part of the wider church where this is I don't want to sound like it's a lack of faith but I don't think we're ever going to come to a consensus on it I don't think we're ever going to get to a place where everybody's in full agreement on the role of women and what Paul meant in his, in his writings but what I would want to say no matter what position you take on the role of women and what Paul meant or what, how Jesus engaged with women no matter what side you take, we must be so careful how quick we are to judge those whose practice is different than ours. Because in all the things that I, that I want to say for a few minutes this morning, uh, the, the main thing I want to say is that I think the role of women is a secondary thing. And it can never be something that we fall out about. It can never be something that we, that we fight about. We have got, the church, I think, has got to be better at, at, at choosing its battles. As a father, as, as parents, we're getting better at, at picking our battles. And I think the church needs to get better at picking our battles. I think it was Er shared with us yesterday that we that we have spent so much time we should be fighting, fighting the world to save the lost, but we end up fighting with each other at the neglect of the lost something to that effect. And oh, we've spent so much time fighting about this. It, it truly grieves me. It truly breaks my heart. And uh, and the reason why I felt like I wanted to just to, to touch on this this morning, it felt appropriate in some ways. But just while I've just after I finished studying through the book of Judges a number of months back, I, I followed up an another personal study in the book of First and Second Corinthians. And uh, and the and the things that we pull out, the things that we pull out from Paul, and I know that they're important to people. But the things that we pull out, the incidental things that we pull out from the letter in First and Second Corinthians, ends up having very little to do with the overall, the overarching uh, picture, the overarching theme of Paul's motivation and his desire to write to the Corinthians. But as I read chapter 14, I, it, was, it was interesting. I'm reading chapter 14, and it's all about the exercise of spiritual gifts. And you get the exercise, all, it's about the exercise of spiritual gifts. It's about order in the church. All, all great, healthy stuff. And then we get the First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34 and 35. And it says these words, women, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And so I don't know if anybody's in the room... F- f- Where no matter where you stand, even if you stand and the the women being silent, that is, for me, it just goes off the flow of the passage. And and so, no matter people, whether there's scholars that believe uh, that women should be silent, or whether there's scholars that believe that there is a role for women in public ministry, all of them recognize that verses 34 and 35 were added in years later, which was a surprise to me. But I want to find out that John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 4 and 5, there's parts of uh, that those writings that some verses were added in a wee bit later. And uh and so so automatically I'm 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 wanting to know what's going on. Because as I've re- as I read through the flow, as I read through the whole flow of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians it seems to completely contradict. It's almost like he's contradicting himself because what he says in First Corinthians chapter 11 is that women are, are praying and prophesying in the public gathering. He says in chapter 11, he's directing, he's leading how women should pray and prophesy in the public assembly, in the gathered, in the gathered people. So for them to go on to chapter 14 and suggest that they should remain silent and it's disgraceful for them to speak in church, I struggle with that, and maybe you don't. And that, and I promise you, that's fine. But I struggle with it, I really struggle with the, with how that all flowed. And so I've found myself asking questions around, around different issues in the Bible. Is this a timeless principle, or is it a cultural condition? The things that Paul says in other parts of his letters. Are those things? Are those things timeless principles? Is that something that's for the rest of eternity, an eternal principle, or is it a cultural condition that he's speaking to to those people at that time for a particular reason? And I think you maybe guess where where I land. But again, not at the expense of falling out, not at the expense of being able to dialogue really well in. Uh, and why we get to this place. And I know that there's going to probably, there potentially be more questions around the role of women this morning than you maybe even had before you arrived this morning. And forgive me for that. But I'm really reluctant this morning. Let me finish, let me finish this point by, by looking to Jesus. And I'm really reluctant to suggest that I'm using Jesus as my trump card for, for being right. I'm not. But I'm, but I'm so attracted to the person and the ministry of Jesus. So I absolutely, he continues to fascinate me. He fascinates me now more than he's ever done. He's caught my attention and my affection more than he's ever done. And so I want to look to him. I want to look to him. And, and as, a, as I look to Jesus and I watch him ignore the standard role of women in Judaism, he ignored it. He ignored the standard role of women, and what he does, he gives them public ministry, and he affirms them in the face of male opposition. I believe that's what Jesus is doing in John four, with the Samaritan woman, with the woman at the well. He he ignores every standard, he ignores every everything that was expected of a male, of a Jewish male, and Jesus ignores it, and he gives this woman public ministry. Go back and testify. Go back and tell of all that I've done. Go back and tell who I am and one that has come to bring water, the water of life. And, and she goes back and she tells, I've just met a man who told me all that I've ever done. And, and, uh, and Jesus affirms her. She give, he gives her public ministry. But, as, but even more than that, he, he affirms her. Because the disciples come along and they are absolutely horrified. I don't think we realize the significance of this moment. They are horrified because Jesus is not only, not only talking to a woman, but he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And then he's releasing her to go and, and, and tell of him back in the community that she came from. This was, that was a stunning moment, what Jesus was doing in John chapter 4. And we get to the end of the Gospels and we see Jesus we see Jesus trusting the message of the resurrection to Mary Magdalene. The first person he trusts with the message of the resurrection is Mary. And as I watch Jesus write through the Gospels, I see someone, I see a, I see a man, I see a, a savior, I see my, my most perfect example showing me how the worth, the worth of anybody is not, is not evaluated on the basis of their gender but on their relationship to him. So every one of us this morning. Your, your, his worth, your worth is evaluated on the basis of your relationship to him. And he didn't specify. I can't find him. And we can have this conversation, a real healthy, robust conversation. But I don't find him uh, specifying certain areas for different genders. I don't see him specifying certain areas for women and for men. You don't know, see him telling the women, Well, you can teach at the Sunday school, but you can't teach any more than that. I you don't know, see him saying that you can you can make the sandwiches and do the tea, but that's all you're gonna do. He doesn't specify certain areas but he affirms them as they exercise in their gifting. As they're called out, he affirms them and he allows them and he releases them in the exercise of their of their giftings. And so I'm guessing you know where, where I fall on this. But I, um, I have friends that don't agree. And they are, they're absolutely passionate about Jesus. Absolutely love the Lord. They put me to, they put me to shame. And so even though we don't agree on, on the role of women, we still cheer one another on. We still can pray together and love each other really well. And I'm so grateful for that. And, um, and so I hope it doesn't upset I hope it doesn't offend it's never my intention but it was just I felt there was a moment that we should just say something and, uh, and so Deborah this prophetess this lady full of character and full of wisdom was given the authority to judge Israel at this time because she was one who knew the mind of God one who knew the heart of God and so we get to the part we get to Barak we're introduced to Barak and Barak said to her in verse, chapter, in verse 8, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And Deborah says, Very well, I will go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours. That seems uh, it seems a bit of a rebuke. But if your Bible is the same as mine, at the bottom you'll, there will be a little asterisk. and brings you down to the bottom. And we'll say that, Closer to the original it says but on the expedition that you're undertaking the honour will not be yours for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. And I uh, i just so appreciated Barak actually. It's the first reading, the first time I read over this as I read Deborah's response to him I thought Deborah's cross with him. This is a rebuke. Deborah thinks this is a this is an act of fear. But I think all that Deborah's saying here in this moment is, that, is, is is providing us a statement of fact rather, rather than a verdict on his faith. It's a statement of fact. Barak, if this is the way that you want to do it, you need to know that you're not going to get the recognition. Barak, if this is the way that it's going to be, the, the honor is going to be handed over to somebody else. And for me, as I read it that way, it then makes sense why Barak will be mentioned in the in that great chapter, uh, eleven of in Hebrews in the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven, verse thirty-two, where Barak is briefly mentioned. And the writer of the Hebrews says there's there's uh, there's more that I haven't the time to mention, and I think then he says Gideon and Samson and Barak, and uh, and so here he is in the in the in the hall of faith as we famously called it and so I think this is this moment is a statement of fact rather than a judgment on his faith and I think I think uh, Barak this is a beautiful sign this is a beautiful sign of faith because I think for Barak it's a humble confession of his own inadequacy it's a humble confession of his own inadequacy but it is mixed with a sure confidence in the grace of God because even though that, even though he won't get the recognition, even though he knows that it will be given to someone else, he still leads and he still confronts the enemy. It's a wonderful it's a wonderful characteristic. I think it's a wonderful sign of faith. That he wasn't out for the recognition. He wasn't out for the glory or the adulation. But here he was humbly confessing that. He wanted Deborah to come with him. Confession of his own inadequacy, but a sure confidence in the grace of God. The recognition was not important to him. Knowing that it would be given to someone else didn't distract him from still leading, from still pursuing, from still confronting the enemy. And that again is another lesson for us, I think. that we would uh, That we would go with someone. That we would go on a journey of faith with someone. Recognizing our, our own inadequacy. But confidence in the grace of God. And getting that place. Because often we're so recognition driven. We want to be acknowledged. We long for someone to acknowledge what we've done. Longing for them to acknowledge. The person we brought for dinner. Or the, the person that we prayed for in the street. We can often... Be so long, and for the the recognition that we that we just that we miss out on the blessing, we miss out on victory, we miss out on what He wants to teach us and what He wants to form in us. In chapter five, as we've mentioned, and generated for us, the, it's the I suppose it's the poetic retelling of this event. And and uh, chap on chapter, on, uh, on Wednesday night. We, uh, we asked, one of the questions that we asked was, how do you remember? As we said a couple of weeks ago, that, that very often our failure to remember is a failure. Our failure to obey is a failure to remember. And so we just tried to go around the room in our group and, like, how do you remember? How do you best remember? What is the things that bring to mind all that he has done? And so some sure that it's testimony, some sure that it's the Bible, some i sure that it's in conversation. There's a couple of people sure that it's in worship, it's in song, and and here we have uh, verse 11 of chapter five. Not in the version that we read, but in the, in another version, it's it's Deborah saying, "Gather, gather at the town well, and listen to them sing of what God has done. Gather and sing, and that, I suppose that's what we we're doing this morning." gathering and singing and remembering all that all that he has done. As I read chapter 5 it's hard to believe that from Othniel to Samson we're on this downward spiral. That's what we'll see as we continue to follow along in this series. We're in a downward spiral. But I find myself this week reading chapter 5 it feels like it's such it is such an incredible moment. It is such a significant moment. As I read through chapter 5, I find myself asking, how is this not the most successful period in history? What happened? It feels like a, a huge moment. And as we followed on, as Jenna read for us, as we get to verse 16, 17, and 18... I think we begin to see why this was not the most successful period in history. Because some of them sat still. Some of them sat still. We're told in, we're told in verse uh, 18, the people of Zebulun risked their very lives, and so did Nephtali. So here we had part of the people of God were the ones Ready to fully trust, ready to fully obey, ready to risk their lives. But then we're told about Reuben. With Reuben, there was much searching of heart, and he ended up staying in the campfires. He stayed in the campfires and just talked about it. Much thinking, much wrestling, but at the end, he just talked about it around the campfire maybe the campfire just got too warm. Maybe around the campfire as they talked, it just got really comfortable. It got really safe. And so they sat still. They stayed where they were. We're told of Gilead and Dan and Asher. Essentially, they stayed at home. They stayed within the four walls of their building. And so many of them sat still. And I think it's, it's why it didn't become the most successful period of history and often today I'm sure you've been you've been here long enough and you've been part of different events that we've encouraged you to go to and often we're here in the, the, the body of Christ the people of God are beginning to say it feels like we're Ireland is about, something's about to happen there's about to be a moment there's about to be breakthrough there's about to be something happen it could potentially be our most successful period in history. And I, think, and I believe all of that. I think that all of that's true. It's language that I've probably used. But as I read through Judges chapter 5, I'm aware that there is some that are content to be still. Some, too many maybe, are content to stay around the campfire and talk about it. Some will stay around the campfire and talk about the way it used to be. Some will, will just stay within their four walls while everybody else is pursuing. Everyone else is longing for more. Everyone else is longing for kingdom advance. And so I'm, I'm reading through this chapter and I'm longing for every part of the body, every part of the brain to, to be beautiful, to be active, on a Friday morning i finished finish with this on Friday morning at the castle Urs and Lillian led us through devotions and and uh, I suppose to summarize what we were talking about on Friday morning or what Urs was talking about was this keeping on wrestling Jacob kept on wrestling t- until he had breakthrough and that's what I love to stir among us this morning sort of love the stir among the church in this nation, it feels like we are. It feels like this could be the most significant period in our history. We would see more, and it feels like we are. I'm hearing stories of of lost people from both sides of from the Catholic community, from the Protestant community, from right across the different spectrums of our society, coming to faith, putting their trust in Jesus. Never heard as many stories as I'm hearing in the last weeks and months. Billy pointed out to us on Monday morning something, something that had to shift whenever so many cry out at that event a number of weeks ago and we believe that there's, there's a moment for us but we want to keep on wrestling we don't want to sit around the campfire we don't want to stay within the four walls we want to keep on wrestling until breakthrough this is not a moment for passivity the church in this nation the church, this church, you as an individual this is not a moment for passivity this is not a moment for sitting back. This is a moment to pursue. We don't want to miss an opportunity for his kingdom to come. We don't want to miss an opportunity for his kingdom to advance through you, through us. We don't want to miss an opportunity for his kingdom to come in power. And that's who we are. That's who the church is. And to quote, to quote Irsh, he used uh, this language that I've just loved this weekend. That the church is to be a parhouse of the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful language. It's a powerful image. That's who, that's who we are. That's who we're to be. Parhouse of the Holy Spirit. No more retreat. No more passivity. No more stepping back because it could be our most successful period in history. And so the reason why we're going through the book of Judges, we want to learn. We want to pick up where was the moment that the where was the moment that the downward spiral could have been stopped and they could have something could have been saved or redeemed and, and so we want to go through this because we want to learn we want to pick up in a moment that we wouldn't make the same mistakes so Father I pray that you would, you would come and you would speak, you would bless that we would hear heaven this morning and as we close out in worship that you would do what it is that you want to do among us you want to do something among us you don't want us to remain passive You don't want us to remain inactive, so Holy Spirit, would you be given the freedom? Would there be individuals within this room who just give you the freedom to do whatever it is that you want to do? In Jesus' name.